Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. All right, ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. There's some good music today. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I mean, we got some muse, a little. Okay, well, good morning. My name's Mike. What's your name? What's your name? What is it? Tim? Hello, Tim. I'm Mike. See how no one sits here? Why is that? I, I, need, to, I need to legitimately know why no one sits here. Because there's no aisle? Oh, here, yes. Yes, see. Changes everything. Nice, Nick. Come on. Good morning, everybody. We're glad you're here. You could be at the beach. You could be out doing something fun, and yet you're here slugging through church. I mean, way to go. You get extra rewards for this. Come on. No, uh, my name is Mike Erie, and um, this is a church community called Vox, which is Latin for voice, uh, and uh, we're really passionate about this Jesus fellow, but we're not super passionate about all that comes with the Christian subculture attached to this Jesus fellow. So we've tried to create a space where people can be safe to talk about anything, and people can be uh, allowed to ask questions and wrestle and process, and our tagline is kind of safe to belong, and we genuinely mean that particularly for um, worship leaders uh, who used to be big, but now they're kind of older, uh, and, um, and uh, they're named Todd, but that's a different story. Um, now, we're really glad you're here. The thing is, if you're new to our community, you need to go to voxoc.com, and there you can find out more about us. You can let us know that you are here. Um, you can, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a place there to sign up for something called a new to Vox dinner, which we'll be doing, I think, June or July, uh, over at my house. Uh, we barbecue or do something and we kind of talk about the church. So all of that, if you want to check that out, that's where you go for that. Now, um, this morning, like, I don't know what happened last week, but there was an explosion of text questions. So I've got like 10 of them to try to get through. Um, while we get started. So, Joanne, good morning. So here we go. This is the number you text your questions to. And, um, and uh, question number one, here we go. So, last Sunday you read a question that my girlfriend wrote. This, 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 ne- this, this is not going to end well. I can tell that already. She was, she was raised, raised and still is Catholic, Catholic, and I was raised going to a church of Christ. Christ. We are struggling to find a good balance Because the the foundation of our faith is the same, but we both have issues with some of the differences. Sounds about right. Our biggest issue has been with the topic of child baptism. What is your opinion on that? Great question. This is what I tell people. Uh, Hope it's helpful. We always want to honor the faith of parents who either dedicate their children or have their children baptized. I also see in the New Testament, and I think it's the primary teaching of the New Testament, that baptism is a conscious decision um, and a public declaration of allegiance. So even if you choose to have your child baptized, um, that child still needs to make their faith their own. 
So um, if, if you're raised in a tradition where you baptize infants, oh, fantastic. I would still say when those, when those infants grow up into children and adults, um, again, baptism doesn't save us, so I'm against any thinking that way. But I do think there's something very powerful. We dedicated our, chi our children but there's, but there's still something, something very powerful when they say for themselves, I want to be baptized publicly. I want people to see my faith and allegiance. So I don't know that you guys, that this should be a super significant issue unless the theology is, well, you have to be baptized to be saved. And in that case, I don't think the New Testament teaches that at all. The New Testament teaches that baptism is a sign of our salvation. It's not what saves us. And the lights came on in the aisles. Make sure if the cabin loses pressure, uh, the oxygen masks will drop from the top. Now, next. Hey, Mike. I'm a, I'm, I'm a complementarian. Now, that, that's a view on, on uh, women teaching uh, or women in leadership. A view that I've struggled with for years but have never been able to abandon while maintaining intellectual integrity. That said, I would never walk out of a service where a woman was preaching, do unto others... Next slide. Next slide. Do unto do others. Unto others. Uh, it's, uh, it's okay, okay if you did. Uh, uh, okay, there we go. Do unto others is a much more obvious command than some disputed passages in Paul. I love that. Yes. I find it troubling last week when you said, if you aren't a fan of women in leadership, then this church isn't for you. That totally sounds like something I would say. It's okay. Okay, who's getting twitchy up there on the slides? All right. All right. Just slow, Just slow down. down. We're, all We're all in this together. together. Um, I found it troubling last week when you said, if you aren't a fan of women in leadership, this church isn't for you. For the past year, you've been saying, it's okay if you disagree on gay marriage, politics, inerrancy of the Bible, Trinity, evolution. That doesn't matter. You're safe to belong. But last week, it sounded like this was one issue is indeed a deal breaker. I appreciated Vox, the focus on Christ and loving the neighbor. So I've been willing to sit in... The cognitive dissidence of disagreeing on ancillary doctrines. I understand where Vox stands. I have no desire for you to change your stance, and I'm not going to be a jerk and treat women leaders badly. But I need to know my views will be respected even if disagreed with. Okay, first of all, that is a fantastic question. Secondly, uh, I don't remember exactly what I said. I thought I was addressing the people that had walked out. I did not mean the people who disagree. Oh my goodness, we have, we have women who disagree with women teaching at Vox, and they're here to stay, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I want to apologize for saying something that blanketly, I was referring to people, because anywhere I've gone, I am so immensely gifted, so talented, so charismatic, that invariably a couple of things happen. We get the, hey, when's Mike going to teach? And we don't want to be here if he's not teaching. We're going to beat the snot out of that at this church. Okay, If you ask that question, uh, we're just going to say, well, you're going to have to show up and find out. All right? Because we want to create a community where the sermon isn't the point. You have enough information you know, for crying out loud, the world's best teachers are out there in podcast land. We gather for other reasons than just the teaching. But it felt like the last time Bonnie taught and, and when Carrie taught, there were people who saw that it was a woman and left. And that's what I was going after. So when I say, hey, if you're not, if you're willing to disagree, hallelujah, we're into disagreement forever. We love that. But if that's something where you're actually going to make a scene and walk out, um, in, front in front of our, of our guests, guests then, this then this church really isn't for you.
So that's the that's the subculture I was going after. For for you and the questioner, I am very sorry that that came across too harshly. I wanted to be really harsh towards one specific group of people. Next. How do we find Izzy's music? On iTunes, baby. Liminality, her new album. Buy it now. Next. Do religious people believe in dinosaurs? I love this. We're fans, We're fans of Barney, of Barney so, yes. so yes. Now, I, 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 I'm, I'm, inter- I'm really interested in what's behind this question, question because, because if archaeology uh, uh, and geology and paleontology suggest there were these big things that we call dinosaurs, then yes, I believe in dinosaurs. If the question is, how do you get them on the ark? And, you know, I, well, I don't know. Maybe you had eggs. Maybe you had dinosaur eggs. I have no, I have no idea. So I've seen Christians believing in dinosaurs as some weird thing. And I've also seen Christians believing in dinosaurs because that's what science seems to indicate. So I'm a fan of that one as opposed to the weird thing. Make sense? Next. It feels self-serving to ask for things I want and need. It's taking me a long time to stop looking at God as a self-help book. But now I have trouble praying for things that I care deeply about, like my children and husband. I suppose I assume that God knows these unsaid desires, and I should be praying for less selfish things. Your thoughts would be very appreciated. You're maybe the only one that thinks that. I know God loves me beyond what I can comprehend, but it still feels self-serving and like I'm using him when I ask for things I want. Oh, okay, now that's a long question, and that's a brilliant question. You would be right, completely right, if Jesus didn't spend so much time teaching about asking things for prayer and teaching that he actually cares about the minute details of your life. Is it true that most of us approach God with self-interest? Of course. And it's also true that God in his glory will at times answer and bless our self-interest. But because prayer is a partnership and not a controlling Thing. It's not, it's not we can't, we can't make, make, turn it into a formula. We can't control God. Prayer is actually one of the ways that God uses to train us away from self-interest into more alignment with who he is and his heart. So, should you ask for things you want and need? Absolutely. I, I do all the time. All the time. And I also realize, because, because Jesus actually presents the Father this way, The Father knows how to give good gifts to his children. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Here's a story about a widow that's not getting justice, and she nags the judge into justice. How much more will God listen to you? I mean, so there's permission given. But I love the fact that you're aware that sometimes what we're asking for, and the reason we don't get it, is because we just don't have the big picture in view. So, Keep the character of God, the God that cares, and realize that part of the dance of prayer is teaching us to pray for things that are a bit more significant. But my goodness, I have asked for parking spaces. Yes, yes. I have prayed that flights would be on time. I have asked the Lord Jesus not to get the flu that my son is now throwing up all over the house. I don't know if he cares. I care. Great question. Worship music is hard for me sometimes because I don't see the reality of what we sing. For example, hallelujah, our God reigns. The reality is that I still see sin and its effects reigning. 
How do we worship with this tension? Dang, what a great question. On fire. And I'm like four minutes over my question time. I feel like I'm lying to myself when I sing these words and have to modify the words to myself to think some time in the future where God reigning is the constant reality. Oh, man. Okay, two or three questions here. Look at me. Is this fun or what? Yeah, not really. Maybe? I love this stuff. All right, first. God's, so we live, oh, this is going to be so hard to do in 10 seconds. We live in something called the now and the not yet. God's kingdom has come and we are victorious now. God's kingdom is coming and we will be victorious then. Jesus has come and inaugurated his kingdom. Jesus is coming again and will fulfill it and consummate it. We live in this in-between time where the revolution has begun and it's here, but it's not yet fully in view. So what you're wrestling with here is the fact that the scriptures teach God reigns, but his reign has not yet been fully put into effect on planet Earth because there are still wills that are at work on Earth. So that's, that's the tension that, that fuels worship for me. The fact that God reigns, and that's true, and the fact that I want him to reign more. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it is totally acceptable when worshiping. Like sometimes we'll sing this song, I'm desperate for you. I can't mean that song. I don't mean that song. I'm actually desperate for other things. And so sometimes I'll sing a song like a confession, God, I wish I were desperate for you. Sometimes I'll sing it as a declaration, right? God, you do reign, and I can't wait to see that reign more fully manifest. Sometimes I, I worship as a supplication, God, I want this to be true of our world. So I think it's totally legitimate as you engage in worship, as you're thinking about the words that you're singing, to live in the now and the not yetness. And to, and to say, say but, 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 but it, theologically it's true, God, God does reign, reign right now. And he's in, and he's the, in the process of putting all enemies under his feet. So that's a legitimate thing to sing. I love that you're sensitive to the fact that that's not fully happening yet. And so you sing it as something you're asking for as well as something you're declaring. Does that make sense? Mm. One more. Oh, oh. Oh my, oh my goodness, okay. Hi, uh, so I'm in middle school. Middle schoolers have been rocking the freaking text messages right now. And one of my closest friends recently came out as gay. He has claimed to be a firm believer in Christ, but I'm honestly very conflicted. In Revelation 21 it says, but this cowardly, unbelieving, the vile, the sexually immoral, etc. shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. I researched the meaning of sexually immoral and one of the many meanings in simpler terms was those with homosexual feelings. I don't, I don't understand how someone can claim to be a Christian but blatantly go against these scriptures. Does it mean he will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but, he, but is he not a believer? Oh, well, that's one we can do in 10 seconds, right? Okay, first of all, wow, middle schooler, wow. Secondly, is it possible to be a Christian and be cowardly or to be vile? See, sexual immoral also means lust. It also means premarital sex. It means extramarital sex. So you can't just restrict it to one version of sexual sin. I think this is worthy of a podcast. All right, because I don't want to get into this right now and spend the next 15 minutes doing all the nuance, but that's a great question, middle school. I wanted to put it up there just to say, great job. And we want to wrestle with that together. Now, we're also, one of the, one of the ways we also express a value of just being safe to talk about anything. 
We love questions, but we also love stories of people who are in the midst of pain and process. So I want to introduce, uh, to my, I want to introduce you to my friend Sada, who uh, we call her Sade sometimes just because there was a popular 80s singer. This is Sada. Sada, say hello. Hi. When I was about 14 years Hold old. Hold on a second. Oh, closer. Okay. Hi again. <laughs> when I was about 14 years old, I started struggling with my weight, self image, and self confidence. The struggle quickly turned into bulimia. I tried to hide it, control it, but it came, became a huge part of me and it ended up controlling me. I come from a family with lots of tradition. I was raised as a part of a religious group called the Molokans. It's a breakaway from the Russian Orthodox Church, identifying itself with Jewish traditions and practices. We followed lots of Old Testament rules, including food restrictions, dress codes, and honoring many of the Jewish holidays. One of the most important rules was keeping separate and away from outsiders of the church. It was instilled in me that if I left the religion, I would be cut off from my family. I decided in my late teens I did not want to live under those strict rules anymore. I wanted to do all the things I'd never been allowed. When I left home, I was not only alienated from my parents and siblings, but mostly everyone I had ever known. Unfortunately, without any family support or friends in my life, I ended up with a man who mentally and physically abused me. During that time, I became really entangled in sin. Not only were ugly things happening to me on the outside, I was becoming really ugly on the inside. It was very sad and dark time. After several years of living this way, things started to turn around. I was slowly able to break away from that relationship. I started making better choices. I got a great job where I went and met a wonderful man. We got married and I had a, we had our first son. I even started building a relationship with my family. When our son turned two, I stopped working so I could be at home with him. Once home full-time, I realized all my friends were working people, and I didn't really know what a stay-at-home mom looked like. I thought about my own mom, and I remembered she did a women's Bible study. So that's what I did. And here's where I met Jesus. I was sitting at my kitchen table late at night. Everyone in my family was asleep. And I had just started the study that day, and I was doing my homework. And as I read these words, he is with you. I had an experience the best I can describe as a vision. At that moment, I saw Jesus in my secret depression spot I had in my house, sitting with me like a friend would, watching me suffer, looking at me with pure love. Then I saw him sitting with me after I had a bulimic episode on the floor of the bathroom with the same look. He knew I had been suffering alone with this for over 11 years, and he looked at me. I heard deep in my soul, you don't have to do this anymore. I felt it all the way to my core, him not wanting this for me. I felt a love so powerful, I believed him. That moment, I knew I had been changed. I didn't even know what accepting Jesus was, but I said yes to him. I was going to be his friend from that moment on. The next few months, I went through a transformation of learning how to live without the bulimia. I told my family and friends about the eating disorder. I started forgiving old hurts and asking for forgiveness. It was a healing time. Three years later, our family moved from the Bay Area to Brea. Brea, California. <laughs> Within the first week of the move, all of the old feelings, desires, and habits of the eating disorder hit me like a freight train. I had many episodes. I couldn't understand what had happened. I had been healed for three full years. So I start from scratch with praying, and I try to identify triggers. 
And 13 years later, as I stand here, I still struggle. I have come to a place where I live with it, fighting the urges, having lots of victories, but also really hard days too. At first when I met Jesus, I would share my experience with anyone that would listen. I didn't care if people believed me because I believed him. I really wanted people to be part of the awesomeness of being friends with Jesus. But after I relapsed, I stopped sharing. How can I talk about a healing if I wasn't healed? During this weird time, I started wrestling with questions I had about the Bible. I was so conflicted in my soul. How could I question the very God that I had fallen in love with through Jesus? As I searched for answers, the church atmosphere made it worse. I was made to feel like I was losing my faith and that doubting was some kind of sin. I started to feel more and more lost. What I'm learning now is that my questions are not a lack of faith and that I'm allowed to ask questions. I'm also learning that I don't have to have the answers to, in order to share my testimony. I cannot explain why he came and healed me so radically that night, nor can I explain why I have to live with it now. I've never felt because of my struggle that Jesus didn't love me. I've never even felt that he left me. I still struggle, but I'm in a way better place from when I started this Jesus journey. Since the night I met him, I've known he loves me. His love is real. His love is powerful. And I know that he offers that love to everyone. Amen. Oh. Oh. oh, man. That's it, right? That's it. That's what we live in the middle of. We wish the struggle would go away, and yet there's victory, and he reigns, and oh, so proud of you, Sada. Um, I want to pray for us this morning. More Coptic Christians were killed, of course, a couple of days ago, and the world just seems to get more and more awesome, doesn't it? More and more good news out there. Holy cow. So I want to just take a moment to pray uh, into this idea that Jesus is reigning, and yet we hunger for his reign to be consummated on earth. And, um, and then we're going to spend some time singing. We got a, fr a new friend, Jared, today, who's played with us before, but, you know, it's nice to have a, a real worship leader. And... Um, Sorry, just a shot at Izzy. Just love Izzy. Uh, and as always, we, we want to worship uh, in the midst of, of two realities. One, we want to give great permission for you to respond however you want to respond. We don't, we don't hype. We don't uh, try to generate some sort of emotional response. Um, and so you have great permission to sit or to stand or to sing or to not sing. But we also want the, those of you that call yourselves Jesus followers, to, we want you to engage. This matters. This isn't wasted time. This is, this is refurbishing our imaginations. This is filling our mouths with words that have uh, different meaning than the words that we use all the time. And so we kind of live into that as Jared leads us. So let me pray real quick. Father, oh man, Sada speaks for so many of us who still live. We, we know you. We know you, we know you love us, you're with us, and yet we still live in the middle of the slog of life and struggle and failure and victory, and, um, and yet, God, you are so good and so faithful, and so um, we want to turn our eyes and our hearts, our imaginations to you in these moments, and we use these songs to put words to our prayers, to put words to our feelings, but even to guide kind of our thoughts and our feelings this morning. So that, so that you might receive praise and glory, for you are good, and it won't always be this way. And so we declare that you are reigning. You are Lord over every single bit of the earth. 
and we hunger to to see that manifest in the day that will come when every tear will be wiped away though we no more sorrow or suffering or pain until then god let us be faithful and let us wait well and so we bless you now in the name of our christ amen awesome awesome uh, my, uh, my brothers and sisters, sisters go ahead and have a seat, seat. Clearly, Clearly didn't need, didn't to, need say to say that. that. Um, so, so, we're so what we're going to do is we've got a guest teacher in the house. Our friend, Our friend Bonnie's, Bonnie's back, back. Here's and here's the reason. Bonnie's, Bonnie's leaving, leaving for Austin, Austin tomorrow. tomorrow. She's, she's moving, moving to Austin. Austin. So we're like, so we're like we got to do, do one more. we got to do one more Bonnie. And so she's literally, her husband is packing the moving van. So we're sneaking her in here. Greg, did you make the bread back there? Bro, I had some of that, and like the jalapenos are burning my tongue. My tongue, like the saliva, I cannot stop it right now. I'm so glad I'm not teaching today. It would just. So here's what we're going to do. Oh, my jalapenos. I'm pounding chocolate milk and ice, and there's nothing happening. Oh, sorry. Um, so what we're going to do is uh, Bonnie's going to come out and teach, and then I want to remind you, after the teaching um, is really the highlight of our service together as a community. We uh, respond to what it is that we've heard, what it is that we've sung, and uh, we do that in a number of ways. We, we celebrate the Eucharist, um, and we want to be a community that disagrees about all sorts of things, but gathers around the bread and the cup. And so, and so the communion stations are here and here. There's a gluten-free one back there, and there's one over here. And what you do is you take some bread, you dip it in the cup, and you take and eat. And we do that in remembrance of Jesus. And we also realize, my brothers and sisters, that you don't have to have a religious pedigree to do this. You don't have to have a clean slate to do this. Everyone is welcome at the table of Jesus. No matter how much or how little faith you have, you are welcome. Also, also, you'll notice there are these wood kind of pegboards, and what people will do is take a bit of parchment, and they'll write down prayer requests. Remember last week, um, we, we, did, we did confessions and then prayed for each other. Remember that? Did anyone actually pray for the people they had during the week? Okay, I did. I felt someone praying for me. Could be in my imagination. But anyway, normally what we do is um, you, you take, you take a, a bit of parchment, you write it, you fold it. You stick it in there, and then we have a prayer team that prays for those all week. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear the celebrations and the, and the things that require trouble. If you need pastoral assistance, put your information on there, and we'll have someone get in touch with you, okay? Also, we have these prayer shawls that um, cover over a bit of the wood, and that is a reminder of the permission we have to ask for healing. The woman in the Gospels that fights through a crowd to just grab the hem of Jesus' cloak. So we have these hems here. There's no power in them, of course, but we grab them um, and we, we cry out for healing for whatever it is that's going on with us. And then lastly, we'll have a couple of prayer folks. If you want a live voice and not just to write something, we'll have some prayer folks over in this corner who would be honored to pray with you. And then if you're uh, participating with us financially, participation boxes are near the doors. Other than that, um, that's the rest of our service together. So uh, would you give a big old Texas hello now to Bonnie Lewis wearing her Texas boots? Thank you. There you go. Thank you. Hey, y'all. Did that sound natural? 
I've been working on it, but I think I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb when I get there, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm gluten-free. <laughs> You're not from here. Um, so we've been moving. It's like a whole thing, right? Who's moved in the past, I don't know, any time, and still has like PTSD from it? Um, I hate moving, and that's why I'm doing this today, and husband's packing. But um, I've been trying to find like little glimpses of sanity in the moving process. So on Sunday morning, sometimes my husband does production at this Lutheran church, and they have um, a very um, like liturgical way they do all the elements, the table, and offering. And so I said, you know what, let's go and let's just like enjoy a peaceful moment. So we get there, and my six-year-old's with me, and it's time to go take communion. And in the Lutheran church, he can't take communion unless he's been through this class. And so I said, you know, you're not going to take it. You're just going to come up with me, and the pastor will bless you. And so we're walking up, and I am, like, dragging him. And I'm already carrying my infant right here on my chest. And then I'm, like, dragging my son. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he's screaming, I don't want to be blessed. I don't want to be blessed. And I'm like, shh. He's like, I hate the blessing. I'm like, <laughs> I just get up there. I'm like, so sorry, we're moving. That's <laughs> just like, no problem. Um, so it is great to be here. This is a, like a place of joy and refuge for me. So thank you. Um, today we are going to talk about, um, I mean, this isn't a blanket statement, but the word of God. And we're just, it's really come to my attention, not only in my own life, but just, um, in watching uh, Christian culture that, um, I think sometimes we've lost what it means to know that our words have power. And so we're going to talk about that. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39. And where we find this verse is, um, it's actually at the end of the seven woes that Jesus delivers to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, if you remember, are like a group of religious elite, okay? They know a ton of things. They know everything, but they're also portrayed mostly in the Bible as Jesus, like his antagonists, mostly because they get it wrong, right? Like everything Jesus does, they sort of rub up against him and say, that's not right. And Jesus has an answer for that. And so we find ourselves, this verse is at the end of the seven woes. And Jesus says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left you to desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, the Pharisees, they're locked in their own ways, okay? They've done a really good job of memorizing scripture but they've done a really bad job of applying it to real life situations. And Jesus, he grieves this. That's why in the verse when it says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Now we know that this is a statement of Jesus longing something more for them because of the words under her wings and the symbolism of that. So Mike talked about this prayer shawl, right? And I think he's preached on it too. Um, and this is like a prayer shawl that you would find and what they discuss. And so if you can uh, put up numbers, please. 
Numbers 15, 37 through 41. So you'd wear the prayer shawl and it says, the Lord says to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. So the verse says, um, take the corn, it says, uh, tell them to make tassels. Now here's, here's like regular friends, right? And here's the tassels, okay? So the Hebrew word for tassels here is tzitzit. Can I hear you say tzitzit? Let's just have a little gumption. Tzitzit. There you go. <laughs> um, and he said, and I want you to put them on the corner, the corner. So the corner is called the kanaf, okay? And the Hebrew word for that is the kanaf. And what it really means is like the wing or the hem of it. So if we read the verse with those words in fine, it says, speak to the people, tell them to make tzitzits on the kanaf of the garments throughout their generations. And like Mike said, this sort of comes, the reason why the woman touched the garment is because this idea developed that this is the wing as Corner sort of says, the hem of it, and these represent the commands and the words of God. And so the idea was that the wings of these garments had power, not because there's anything actually there, but because the commands, the word of God, had power. So wings, it sort of gives this imagery to the corner of the garments that we're talking about the word of God. And we see the same word for wings in Psalm 91, verse 4. I think we have a side for that, too. It says, he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield. And I want to say the word for feathers, that kind of threw me off. I, um, another translation says, um, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. So the word there that's used for pinions and feathers, it actually means the entire wing. Okay, so the image is God is going to cover you with his whole self like this, right? His whole wings. And so when Jesus says, I wanted to gather you under my wings, this image is coming to mind. But then the English word for wing that we use here actually means hem. It actually means edge and corner, just like kanaf. So the verse actually reads, he will cover you with his wings, and under his words, you will find refuge. See, it's this play on words here, okay? So God covers us, but under his word, under his text, under his scripture, we will find refuge. We will find peace. And so Jesus grieves the fact that the Pharisees, they're missing that. They're walking around and they are saying the word of God, but not in a way that is bringing refuge and peace. You know, um, a few years ago, as some of you know, we had um, our second son was birthed as a stillborn. And one of the things I learned during that process is that people don't know what to say. And I don't blame them. I didn't know what to say. Um, but the trend I see, I saw it first then, and I see it continually, is that in Christian culture, we are in a really bad habit 
of memorizing verses and just saying them flippantly when we don't necessarily understand what they mean. And the problem with that is that's exactly what the Pharisees did, right? They, Jesus goes to heal a man on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees tell him no. And Jesus said, hey, wait a minute. I understand. I understand that that's a law. But what I want to ask you is this. What's better, to give life or to not? So time and time again, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and to people, use the word of God to bring refuge and healing. I asked um, some people on social media what, if they've had an experience with this, where people said things very well-meaning and it just didn't bring refuge and healing. And so some of these examples I'm going to read off to you, some of these are, in fact, uh, Scripture. Some of them are sort of this weird conglomeration of ideas about what God does, and they're actually not scripture at all. One person said that um, when, they were betrayed, when they were betrayed by their husband, someone just said to them, well, don't worry, all comes together for good. And that's true, but it's not helpful in that moment. That's not bringing healing and refuge. Someone else told me that when she was sexually assaulted, she came and she confessed that it had happened, and the person that she came to who was comforting her said, well, everything happens for a reason. When, our, when we lost our child, we had more than one person tell us that God just needed another angel. And I've heard countless times that when we're talking about the poor, and the widow and the orphan, that God helps those who helps themselves. The problem isn't that we're using scripture. The problem is that we're not using it to bring healing and refuge. And I think that comes from two places. Number one, we have to be a people that know the text. We have to be in our Bibles. We have to read it. If we don't get it, we have to ask someone. We look it up. We look at the cross-references. We look at the, everything we can find about it. We look it up. But we are a people of the text. We are not a people of bloggers, of authors, of pastors, of writers, of speakers. We are a people of the text. So when one of your favorite, Mike, anybody else, says anything with Scripture, it's our job to go and look it up. It's our job to do the heavy lifting and find out what we think about it so that when someone comes, we have an actual answer that brings peace and healing and refuge because that is the purpose of the word of God. And if we're using it outside of that context, it's our job to change that. And the second responsibility we have here, the second reason why this happens is because we forget the humanity of it. We forget the fact that there are real people involved. I get that we get really torn up. We don't know what to say to people. I get that sometimes people are faced with real problems that feel heavy. That happens to me a lot. And I don't always know what to say. So sometimes the best choice is to say nothing, right? But most of the time, our job is to do our homework, to do the heavy lifting, to figure out who this God is, to figure out how beautiful Jesus is and what he thinks about heartache, what he thinks about grief, what he thinks about trials, and to then bring peace and healing to people in our communities and in our neighborhoods. We're just really used to like 
throwing stuff up on social media or like putting it on a pillow. Being like, hashtag blessed. And like, blessed are the poor, right? So it doesn't really make sense if like someone got a new Kate Spade bag or a new car and write hashtag blessed when like, blessed are the poor. Like, we have to do some context here, right? Because the picture of Jesus that we want to put on display is that his word means something. And let me tell you, if we become people of the text, if we introduce this new wave of Christians that are wise, that know their word inside and out, and not in a way like the Pharisees do, that just kind of spout off, but in a way that brings hope and healing and refuge and peace, let me tell you what's going to happen. People will start taking Jesus seriously. They will start reading his word They will start listening to the words that we speak, and they will say, that means something because I see that it has power. That's what will happen. So I want to be a part of this. I want to be part of a wave of Christians that restores what it means to be a people of the text, to be a people that bring healing and peace and refuge. I want to put Jesus' love on display in a way that people are moved, in a way that instead of being torn apart and saying, gosh, I don't want to be a part of those group of people or that church, I want to be included. I want to be that. That's the type of Christian that I want to be because that's who Jesus is, right? I want to use his words powerfully. So can we do that? Can we reclaim what it means? Can we do the hard work and the heavy lifting? I know there's a thousand things that take our energy, but there's nothing more important than the people around us. And if we can learn to speak truth and healing into their lives, we will see it happen. One by one, we will see Jesus come, and we will see him transform his people. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, and you're going, like, you're all hypocrites. I know, I know someone like that, and like, no matter what we say. And then I started realizing, I'm not saying this right. I need to say this in a way that brings hope and healing. But your job is that we need you. We need you to ask questions. We need you to challenge us. We need you to say, like, how do we know that for sure? Because we need to dig in and do, our, do the hard work. So I think it's time that we meet at the table today. The table is this place where we, like Mike said, we get to disagree, but we get to come. And the beautiful part of the sacrament is just like, just like the uh, prayer shawl, is that there's not power necessarily in the elements, but there's this sort of remembering. And we remember that Jesus' words had power. So when he says, this is my body broken for you, he meant that. When he said, this is my blood spilled for you, he meant that. So let's just be people of intention. People that act in accordance to what we believe and people that believe that our words have power and we pray that the words we use would be filled with the Holy Spirit's power and bring peace and healing. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for this wonderful community that you've set up here. Thank you for the way that you move and that you work. God, I ask that you would come 
not only in this moment, but as we leave here, that we would be people that would set aside space and time to get to know you through your word, that we would be people that would use our words with intention to bring hope, to bring healing, and to bring refuge. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your table. We thank you for your words that we can rely on them and that they mean something powerful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys for spending your Sunday with us. And if you'll stand, I'm gonna pray a blessing over you. Some wonderful people from our house church came and prayed over us and um, gave us this blessing, and it's meant a lot, so I'm giving it to you. It comes from the book of Joshua 1.9, and it says, Be strong and courageous, and do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Go in peace. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.